This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I'm Mel Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Have you ever been stopped in your tracks by a beautiful photo of food while scrolling through Instagram? You know, one of those perfectly lit and styled bowls of really healthy, delicious looking food that makes you instantly think, I need to make that and I want to befriend the person who did. I imagine that's what anyone who has stumbled across one of Jenny Claiborne's photos from her blog, Sweet Potato Soul, thinks. I recently had the chance to chat with Jenny about how she went from being a waitress at a vegan restaurant in New York City to a sought-after YouTuber, Instagrammer, and cookbook author who has appeared on The Today Show and several other national TV shows. During our conversation, Jenny shares all about how her passion for food evolved from a personal interest to her mission in life. While her blog fame has undoubtedly helped boost Jenny's own celebrity, she remains incredibly grounded because she is driven by the sole goal of empowering everyone to reclaim their health and help animals and the planet using plant-based food. Listen in to hear about Jenny's strategy to build a following on social media, how she works with brands, tips and advice she has for people looking to become a food blogger or influencer, and learn why Janae decided to focus on soul food for her latest cookbook and how she hopes to make an even bigger impact on the world in the years to come. Janae Claiborne, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thanks for having me. So Janae, you know, I'm obsessed with two things. Um, Actually, wait, I'm obsessed with a lot of things. The two (laughs) things I'm really obsessed with is... Um, one is media and the way people uh, produce media, distribute media, and consume media. And mm-hmm. the other thing is food and how people produce food, distribute food, and consume food. Right. And I think what's interesting in the last few years, and that gets me really excited, is that these two areas have been intersecting. And what makes it even more fascinating is that in this ever-evolving, distributed, fragmented media landscape... We are somehow finding people like you mm-hmm. and others mm-hmm. out there who are able to leverage the power of media and use it to influence and shape our food culture in many ways. Um, so that's why I bring that up today, because I think the work that we do here and I, undoubtedly the work that you do is not just to um, help people understand what good food is and or good recipes are, mm-hmm. but what you are doing, I think, is changing people's relationship with food. Right. And that intersection of leveraging the power of media to change our food culture is, I think, the biggest opportunity out there right now. So I want to start off with that. Okay. What are your thoughts on that um, in general about using media to influence our food culture? Right. Well, you know, I think we're all very lucky all of us who are in the food media landscape, that food is just so important, first of all. I mean, we eat at least three times a day. And now with social media becoming so, like, such a mainstay, such a huge part of all of our lives, that really gives us the opportunity to speak to people easier. You know, I mean, I, I walk down the street and I take photos of, like, oh, check out this food at the farmer's market or at the grocery store 
when I'm eating, I take photos of what I'm eating. So immediately I'm able to communicate food messages to people. And of course, you know, as a vegan, as someone who, you know, when I first started doing this and still today, my whole goal has always been, let me just help people become vegan, eat better, take better care of themselves through food. So it's just gotten so much easier for, for all of us, for me, for all of us. So as long as you're willing to use the tools available to you, I think everybody can yeah. do it. Yeah. I think you make it sound very simple, but so let's go back to your, uh, your the origin story. Like how yeah. did this get started? How did you, um, I'm going to mention Peace Food Cafe for, for those that are listening that are not based out of New York City, which I'm sure is many of you or most of you. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, vegan restaurants in the city. And, you know, we have a common connection with Peace Food yeah. Cafe because I think I was one of the first customers there. Yes. <laughs> and was the very early days of the formation of One Green Planet was kind of out of uh, sitting out of Peace Food Cafe yeah. some days. <laughs> and you worked there. So why I don't you, there. you know, tell me more about that. How did your yeah. connection with Peace Food happen? Well, it was both of our, part of both of our origin stories. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is so cool. So... When I first moved to New York in 2009, I got a job there. I got a job like in January 2010, actually, so not right away, but I was a vegetarian before then, and I had been for a few years, and because of that, I didn't want to work at any restaurant that served meat, Mm -hmm. but you know, there aren't that many vegetarian restaurants. You go to a vegan restaurant, at least here in New York. So Peace Food was the place. Mm -hmm. I mean, I walked in, I asked if they're hiring, I think... I don't remember if I met Eric right away or somebody working there was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll introduce you to Eric or we'll give you an application. I don't know. But I ended up getting a job there and I immediately loved working there. And so, like I said, I was a vegetarian before that, but working in this vegan restaurant, I was surrounded by all these people who were vegan mm-hmm. for different reasons, but mostly ethical vegan. Mm-hmm. So I started learning about the ethics of eating animals and the animal agriculture system and everything that's associated with that. And I realized that's not what I want to, I don't want to participate that and participate in that at all. So I became vegan myself and immediately, or probably within two weeks of becoming vegan, I was like, I'm quitting everything else, not the restaurant, but I'm, I'm quitting all my other passions and my, the hopes for my career. I want to do this. I want to figure out how can I help other people discover what I've discovered by becoming vegan? Mm-hmm. Because for me, I did it for animals. However, once I became vegan, I mean, the health issues. Like I used to have digestive problems and I just got to the point where I just assumed that was my health or my stomach, like something was just wrong with my stomach. But once I became vegan, all those issues went away. So I'm like, oh, this is healthy for you too? So I started researching the health you know, impacts of becoming vegan or, you know, or even if you're going mostly vegan, Mm -hmm. it's still really great. So I learned about all this and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to help other people. And that's what set me on this journey to where I am now. And so you started a blog. Is that how it all began for you? Because, you know, Mm -hmm. you've gone from just having a blog to having a pretty popular blog to then having a very, then having a YouTube channel, a pretty very popular YouTube channel <laughs> and now an Instagram, yeah. a cookbook. Yeah. How did you go from that early beginning of you just thinking, uh, I think I'm going to help others. I'm going to do something. Yeah. Where did it all begin? And how did you even, uh, you know, right. navigate your way through the next few years? It's crazy. Well, I started the blog before I became vegan. So I moved to New York to be an actress mm-hmm. from Boston, but I'm from Atlanta originally, but I went to school in Boston, came to New York to, to pursue acting. And by the time I got that job at Peace Food, I was like, eh, I mean, I don't really love going to auditions, eh, but I want to be an actress. This is, this is not that fun. I need something else. So I started the blog. I always loved food, eating, cooking, looking at food, shopping, whatever. So I started the blog, Super Shade of Soul, then, before I became vegan, right around the time I started working at Peace Food. And I did it as a hobby. I would post here and there whenever I had time or I had an interesting recipe to share. And when I became vegan, you know, I switched it over to 100% vegan because before there were, it was vegetarian, there were some eggs and dairy. Switched it over to 100% vegan. Again, still pretty much a hobby. When I decided that I wanted to pursue a vegan career, 
I didn't think, let me be a blogger. Because back then in 2010, or actually that was 2011 when I became vegan, the, I mean, there weren't that many blogs of people actually making money, right? There mm-hmm. were a few. They were like pretty big, like um, Smitten Kitchen, which is Upper West Side also. But that wasn't, I didn't think of that as actual career choice. So I decided to start a private chef company. Mm. I love cooking and I love cooking for people. Working on the Upper West Side, people had, I had, you know, talked to um, different people who would eat at Peace mm-hmm. Food about it. I'm like, oh, I wish I had someone cook for me in my home. And I realized, oh, <laughs> I, I can, can cook that. for you in your home. <laughs> Why not? So I started that personal chef service up on the Upper West Side. And I did that for four years, 2012 to 2016. And again, the whole time in the background, I had my blog. I was, Mm. you know, still posting whenever I had a chance, not really putting that much commitment into it just because, again, I didn't think of it as something that could turn into a cookbook down the line. I thought I needed to go the more traditional route, like I'm going to be a private chef. I'm going to host supper clubs. I started doing online programs so that I could reach more people that way. Again, Mm. I could have just put that energy into the blog, but I didn't realize it back then. Um, And then eventually, like 2016, so pretty recently, I started getting really, really serious with the blog because I got my first paid um, sponsorship. So Mm. I'm like, oh, people are paying me? Okay, maybe I should like be posting more regularly, make this into like a real thing. And so, yeah, 2016 is when I started doing this full time and really made it into what it is now. Wow. So the blog, so the YouTube channel came after that. Yeah. Okay. So the YouTube channel also came 2011 when I first became vegan again. I see. So you weren't really just putting that much energy into it in the beginning. No, I posted like Mm -hmm. the first year, maybe like maybe four times. (laughs) (laughs) Now I do it weekly. Yeah. I think, you know, what's interesting here is a lot of people, um, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up is when you launched your blog, you didn't think this was, um, something you could do for a living because, um, and I think that's an important point for people who don't understand how online media properties monetize. Mm -hmm. Most people who put up blogs will put up, um, a Google, um, AdSense account or something and assume that, you know, the money is just going to come in and what ends up coming is, uh, is perhaps 10 bucks or something a month if you're lucky. Um, there are, you know, the part people don't understand. And also it's changed in the last few years, right? In the beginning, it was all about, you needed to amass a huge, um, uh, audience Mm -hmm. online through your blog or website. And then you start monetizing those end users by putting more uh, banner ads on your website. Right. Now, that model has started to shift. You can still do that. In fact, um, One Green Planet doing that. We, but you have to reach millions of people to do to right. be able to make money out of that. Right. But if you're one individual running a single blog, your, ch- your odds of, uh, of making any sort of uh, money to pay your rent mm-hmm. is it, not going to come from those Maybe. banner ads. And so you have to develop individual relationships with brands or they have to see the value in your blog and the influence that you have and then be able to pay you for that and i think a blog alone still will not is not the right way to go i think uh, you've got to what's more important is not so much the platform necessarily Mm -hmm. because platforms come and go right there were no uh there was no instagram 10 years ago exactly it's the quality of the audience that you build and really what does that come down to you know one of the things i find really interesting is why in this crazy crowded social media you know media landscape where people don't have any attention anymore Mm -hmm. and are just scrolling through stuff in seconds right how do individuals manage to rise above it all and almost gain enough of an audience um in terms of engagement and value compared to some big media companies and what what do you think i mean obviously it's clear it's because i say it's because they're people they're authentic they're Mm -hmm. trustworthy they're transparent Mm -hmm. um and most importantly they talk to their audience um like they're people yeah exactly did you find that how's that journey been for you going from you know being a personal chef, then realizing, oh, wait a minute, I can actually leverage these online media tools and get people to pay attention to what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so it, it almost seems like it was by accident for me 
kind of, because I, I had been doing this for so long, you know, the blog and committing to it. I, went, I wasn't posting as often as I do now. I wasn't taking my social media that seriously, but I was still putting out good content. So obviously over time that builds up and brands and, uh, you know, other outlets, even like media outlets recognize that and want to share your stuff, even if it's, you know, just as a hobby. But when it comes to making money in it, and it comes to like growing influence. I agree. It's about being a person and an authentic person as well. And I think, you know, for me as someone who follows people on social media and YouTube and blogs and newsletters and all these things, what I really want to connect to is the person. I want to see them not just selling me a product or not just sharing some product with me. I want to see them you know, walking down the street or in their kitchen making something or in their home without makeup. I want to see the realness. And I think that, you know, for me, I think that's part of the reason people follow me, for example, and want to know what I'm eating. It's because I'm authentic and, and I tell the truth and I have integrity around it. And it's not all about the money. Like I don't, I don't even have banner ads on my blog and I never set them up partially because well, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, the thing is, for me, it's just an individual. I can post, I can like share specific brands who I want to share and I can make money doing that as opposed to like if I had millions of followers, maybe I would have um, banner ads. But it seems just like for a smaller blog, better, like more curated mm -hmm. to just work with brands on sponsorship deals. And I mean, it's, it's great. It's so much fun. And I'm very transparent about when I'm being paid for something like at the top of every blog post, I say it obviously on Instagram, you have to put like hashtag ad hashtag sponsored, but I try to be more, you know, even more, um, transparent that mm -hmm. I'm getting paid for this just so people can know to trust me and, and trust, you know, my opinion of something. And I think all that helps to make you know, all of us, whoever's, you know, whether it be me or someone else who's an influencer, it helps make, uh, give us more influence and make us more trustworthy to our audience. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's the, the interesting balance here is because today you as a person are able to connect with the end audience in mm -hmm. ways that a big food company right. or right. even a big media company struggles to do. They all try exactly. because at the end of the day, they're all trying you know, they'll, they'll hire consultants and <laughs> yeah. agencies to come up with what is my brand message right. and what is my brand story. Uh, what they're actually trying to do is develop a personality mm -hmm. for something that is not a person, exactly. that is a logo uh, or an idea maybe, right. versus individuals have personalities. Mm -hmm. So you're not, you didn't have to sit down and come up with, okay, here's my brand message and no. here are my guidelines. You were like, who am I? Exactly. Who am I? What am I going to share? Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. it's, and it's also simpler for the end audience. But as you grow, that's the, that's the balance I'm, I'm talking yeah. about is as um, influencers or, you know, online media personalities or, uh, you know, food uh, chefs like you that mm -hmm. are kind of using your talents and creating a platform that is pulling in an audience grow the opportunities are going to get more. Yeah. And that temptation to uh, monetize more will obviously increase because everyone has to make a living. Mm -hmm. And um, But that, then trying to be able to keep that balance between authenticity mm -hmm. versus, um, you know, I am now a individual who's become a brand yeah. in itself. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting... I don't have a, an answer to that. I don't have a solution. But... Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that is going to become increasingly important in the years ahead yeah. as, um, you know, companies and brands start to rely more mm -hmm. on developing authentic net, um, authentic relationships with their end consumers exactly. via people like you. Exactly. Well, you know what I think as far as, like you said, there's that temptation to obviously make more money as you grow. But I also think that as you grow, you also have a, a unique opportunity to work with fewer brands for more money. Mm -hmm. So you can work with brands that you really, really love um, and whose values align with you. Because, I mean, come on, if you're working for like... I mean, okay, so as a vegan, I do think our... I think my 
brand opportunities are limited. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many vegan companies that I love, but they can't afford our rates. So, you know, I'll shout them out like on Instagram stories and I will use their products and recommend them, recommend them to people one on one. But I can't do a sponsored blog post or, you know, full sponsored video for them. Um, but I do think as I grow, as the space grows, as these businesses grow, it'll make it even easier for us to work together where maybe I'm only working with two, two brands a month Mm -hmm. or even one. And even now that I've been um, doing this full time, I've done multiple full ambassadorships for a year. Mm -hmm. So that helps, helps it so that sure I could be making more money, but for me, the messaging is very important and I'm, I'm very mindful about not getting it twisted with i'm just trying to sell you something yeah i'd rather make less money in order to keep people's stress and like keep bringing people along like yeah you should go vegan see see you know because that's really my end goal it's not the money part so yeah it's it's actually as you grow i think you do have more opportunity to be even more picky and discerning and still make money at the same time. You're right. And, you know, no one's, at the end of the day, you're not straying from your goal. You can't forget that why you started to do this in the first place was never because you didn't launch that blog knowing that you would be um, here today right. or more importantly on the Today Show. Today. No, no. <laughs> so you, you couldn't have imagined that. So, <laughs> you know, you can't lose sight of that because even if you did, and I think this applies to anyone else out there who's trying to build an audience. Mm-hmm. The easiest way to keep yourself in check is to remind yourself why you do this. Right. And if you do this to uh, help others, if you do this to spread the idea that eating vegan is a positive choice you can make for yourself, for other beings on this planet, and mm-hmm. for the planet itself, then you are kind of going to know what to do in every circumstance. The true. answers will just sort of come to you Very true. Uh, versus having to make any tough choices between yeah. money and uh and your and your kind of your what what is authentic to you exactly so anyway let's get back to you know the <laughs> you make it again sound very simple and easy but uh you evolve from this blog to this now multi uh channel uh media presence in mm-hmm. many ways you don't have a background in media, except you, you, you know, you said you were, you were into acting at one point, but you never did online media. You no. never were trained in online media. How do you sort of manage, how did you learn and how do you mm-hmm. currently manage your multi-platform presence? Mm-hmm. Because you're creating high quality, engaging content, Yeah. much like another media property, much like what One Green right. Planet does in some ways, Right. but you're doing it in your own way. How did you go about learning about it and how do you manage it right now? Well... I learned it as I went, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still learning every day. And especially since all these platforms are Evolving. constantly, sh- yeah. always, right? So you always have to stay up on like, okay, now Facebook is doing this and Instagram is doing that. So you got to, you got to pay attention. Um, but for the, the blog, I started with Blogspot, you know, back in the day, <laughs> straight up all hundred percent free. I did buy my own domain though. So it was like $10 a year. <laughs> um, but I started with Blogspot. And I think it's great to start small Mm -hmm. for sure and build your confidence up doing that. Like I would never recommend an individual person spend $5,000 and build a web, a WordPress or WordPress platform. I think start small, maybe Squarespace, maybe Weebly. Um, And then another thing is I don't do it by myself. So I have a partner, my fiance slash partner and in Sweet Potato Soul, we started the videos together in 2011. We were bored and I like being on camera and I love cooking. (laughs) So he's like, you want to make a cooking show? One of us had the idea and I'm like, yeah, for YouTube, sure. YouTube's new back then. Not that many people want it. Like, yeah, let's do it. So we started doing that together. He taught himself how to edit and how to film. I mean... And I taught myself how to, you know, be a cooking show host. And I had watched plenty of shows, so I think I knew. So he didn't little. have the film no. background before that? I assume yeah. that because the quality <laughs> of the videos is so good, you would assume that there was yeah. someone here who was a professional. Yeah. And, and you so happened that you partnered with a professional who's yeah. making these amazing yeah. videos. Good to know. So you can, yeah, people you can just, you can learn anything. You, you can, can learn anything. And yeah. especially thanks to YouTube. So he is always, you know, he's always trying to expand and grow on his video editing and film skills. It's YouTube. He goes on YouTube. I want to learn how to do whatever, <laughs> types it in and watches the videos until he's learned it. And 
and same with like me with photography. So I started with like a little digital camera that my dad gave me. It was, I don't even know what it was. Probably cost a hundred dollars. I started with that and then I built my way up to a better camera and then a better camera and now a better camera. And every step of the way I learned lighting and editing. Now I'm just trying to master Lightroom, which is amazing. Mm. And it's one of my favorite hobbies is editing <laughs> photos now. Can't believe I'm saying that. But and now we're even at the point where I don't even take the food photography. He does it. Wow. So it's all an evolution and we've been learning as we've been growing. But let me tell you, it is I realize it's so easy when things get tough and when you get frustrated and it's like, gosh, this isn't working out. I quit. I actually don't even like doing whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. you gotta like the overall picture, but maybe you don't like taking photos or or doing video or editing your own posts. If you're serious about where you want to take this, then you cannot let, I don't like it, it's too difficult, stand in the way. We are always frustrated about something. <laughs> My website was down earlier, and I'm like on the phone with the people, on hold for 30 minutes. With a hosting company, that's always But I'm not going to hang case. up. <laughs> right, it's always with the hosting company. I'm not hanging up. They're going to pick up my phone, my, my call, and they have to fix it. And sometimes it's, I, I just, from my own experience and talking to people, I know when I feel like I'm ready to give up. But I think what's gotten me to where I am, and especially why I can, it sounds so simple, is I do think it's pretty simple. Like, you just don't give up. You know, you just keep pushing through. You just maybe you sleep a little less because you have to get this thing finished. Or maybe you, you know, bring, we really haven't hired anybody, but I will say having a partner like Max and I work together is super important. Maybe you bring someone in. Maybe you find someone who you don't know yet to build this. But when it is an individual platform, I think, I don't, I mean, it's not the same as starting a business, so it is a little bit different about, you know, figuring like, what's your, how do you grow this thing? But I think fundamentally, the most important thing is if you're serious about your message, then don't give up on how you're going to get it out. So I used to be a private chef, right? And that was a, that was the first iteration for me of, um, this message. And then I realized I was only cooking for four or five people a week. Mm. I'd real, I would like to influence more people than that. So I started doing online programs like group programs where i would have 200 people a month in the program so i'm reaching more and then of course i realized well if i get this social media thing down i could reach like thousands mm -hmm. and then you build from there little by little until i mean you don't quit yeah there's no until you just keep going i think what you said there is so important and it's true whether you are an individual trying to um you know, further your goals uh, or your business or your brand or your presence online, or if you're a brand or a company trying to get more customers or consumers to buy your products, because it kind of comes down to what it is. You, you have to have a clear goal in mind yeah. to begin with and kind of work backwards from that. It seems very clear from what you just said is that reaching more people was your goal. And mm -hmm. if you have to reach more people, you have to be in front of more people. Yep. You have to grow because yeah. if you don't grow and you're reaching only 10 people every week, it may be happy, but if that, it may be paying you enough, right. but that doesn't help you meet your goal, right. which exactly. is changing thousands, millions exactly. perhaps. Exactly. So keeping that in mind, where do you sort of um, see this going next? I mean, you've got your online presence. Mm -hmm. You've now got our, your first published cookbook mm -hmm. that's come out. What are your... You know, I see what your goal is. Your goal is very clear. It's not yeah. different now than it no. was even six years ago. Right. Except now you are at a point where you can maybe um, create a bit of a roadmap and mm -hmm. say, all right, now I've got the cookbook. I've got the online presence. Um, should I also do uh, um, some sort of a chefing, personal chef business? Mm -hmm. You know, to the extent you want to talk about your future plans, right. where do you see this unfolding so that you can keep getting to that goal in interesting Absolutely. new ways. Absolutely. So, you know, the first book, it's out and it's great. It's a vegan soul food cookbook, which is that serves my goal of showing people that vegan food can be traditional and familiar and delicious um, without like serving them things like, oh, I don't, I can't even pronounce that. What is it? I don't know. 
Um, that's my way of reaching like the American palate. And I mean, that's my favorite type of food. So why not? Mm -hmm. So now that that's out, I would like to write another cookbook. And I, this would, I'd like for this to be more simplified, more like what I eat on a daily basis. However, I think that people have this idea that like clean, healthy food is expensive. Basically, I want to take what sort of like the goop thing, Gwyneth Paltrow's thing, which is not vegan, but mm -hmm. that aesthetic of clean and upscale and, and, and um, just like healthy, super like make you, it's, it's like a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. I want that to be something that everybody realizes that realizes they could have but vegan mm. so clean things you'd eat make on a daily basis i do want it to be easy so things that you know maybe you get home and you're even tired after work you open the book and you're like oh great i have everything for this i can make this and really giving people more of a roadmap for how they can really truly set themselves up for success with their health and making like again making it easy making it approachable and practical but i think i like the goop um and like whatever else is like that i like that aesthetic because it's very aspirational like moon juice kind of like yeah the, except not a hundred dollars right. for everything oh, exactly you buy. <laughs> exactly and their stuff is great but of course it's not only it's not, it's for, not everyone. for everyone yeah no 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 and i think it's not for most and <laughs> i want to reach the most <laughs> but there's a there's a, a aspect of um asper like it's aspirational right and i think also as a black woman there's also there's often this idea that oh well i hear it all the time I hear oh the black community da, 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 and then they tie in the low income thing like mm -hmm. black black people da, 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 and they don't have a lot of money whatever but obviously there's plenty of black people with a lot of money so i want to like shy away from all of that and i want to give us not just black people but all people, especially, um, you know, speaking specifically to Americans, I want them to realize that that pretty like moon juice and like goop thing over there, like you can have that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't need to cost extra money. They just put like some sort of like something on top of it, but you can put your something on it too. It needs to be just as beautiful. And, and I find I, another reason I'm attracted to that aside from I'm just attracted to that in my own personal life is I look at what people follow, right? So mainstream America, we like, um, obviously, reality shows. We <laughs> like rich people. We like glamour. We like Louis Vuitton bags. Even if we don't have one, we might have a fake one, <laughs> or we might just put it on our vision board or our Pinterest, and we want that. But those things are so expensive. And I do think there is an aspect of you want what you can't have. But I think also with food, there's... You know, just like um, how Whole Foods is so, so like popular. Yeah. It's because, oh, it's like you shop at Whole Foods, you kind of fancy, you know, <laughs> but there's, it is true that there's a lot of affordable foods there too. It's yeah. not just like, you know, only for a certain class. Like anybody can come in and take what they want. They can make it work for their budget. And so I kind of wanted, I, that's basically what I want to do for um, vegan food. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I like that you brought up uh, the aesthetic because people, um, don't focus enough on how that is becoming increasingly important. So important. Um, you know, if you have to see what works well on social media or yeah. what does well in the media culture of food, it is beautiful things, right. aspirational things. Yes. Um, a lot of your audience, I'm sure, follows you because they aspire to be like yeah. you. So that is, uh, if you can take that and then make it more accessible without mm -hmm. losing, without I guess the word I'm looking for is without diminishing the richness of the aesthetic, yes. but without having it be only for the rich. Right. Exactly. And it is a, like a, it's like a, a fine thing. And I am trying to do that right now with my social media presence. Mm -hmm. So we moved to LA part of, I mean, to be honest, I moved for the weather and for <laughs> hiking in the beach. But right when we got there, we realized, oh, we underrated this. Like, Sure, we have amazing weather and the beach and everything, but we were able to afford an apartment. We have like we live in a duplex and it's a little house, able to afford a place less than our place here. But our kitchen, I mean, everything is like more. Everything looks compared to our place here in New York City. Everything looks like more expensive and like upgraded. 
but it's actually less expensive. <laughs> so that works for us. Um, but so I wanted, I want, I, I started to realize, oh, okay, I want everything to look a little bit more upscale, but people know me and they mm-hmm. know I'm just like, you know, I'm just me. I mean, I'm yeah. not like, I don't think people think I'm like driving a Tesla and like rolling into dough. I want people to know that I'm like down to earth, but also like, you know, you just add that little, like that little twinkle of like, mm-hmm. oh, this is real pretty. And then, so I started looking at my photos also, my Instagram as it's growing, I realized what looks or what does well and what doesn't do as well. And of course it's like that certain aesthetic, right? So now I'm playing around with, I'm playing around with that thing I was describing before on Instagram because it is so visual and trying to like fine tune where I want to go with this. I mean, come on. And you have, it's social media is such a great place to test, test things out on. It's yeah, great. You're so right. And you know, if there's, um, you know, to bring it back to this idea that we need more people to understand this way of eating um, and to be able to access food that is healthier for you and better for the world, you have to be able to sell it or present mm-hmm. it in a way that makes it desirable. Exactly. Um, and, you know, every if I, I talk to a lot of um, food companies and they all are kind of trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And not just in terms of visual representation, in terms of their packaging, in terms of their social media presence, but also in terms of their products. They Mm -hmm. want their products to, they don't want people to think this is um, a cheap, healthy alternative to something uh, delicious that is meat-based. They want people to think of this as being equally as good, uh, but at an accessible price point. So you get all the experience of richness and decadence and um and beauty without having to empty your entire wallet right and i think that's becoming increasingly true i mean i think in and it's also you know sort of the the thing you mentioned earlier about when you talked about working with brands is Mm -hmm. you can choose who you work with and you can choose how much you do i think yeah a simple rule i follow i don't know if this is something you're into too is that Mm -hmm simplicity can lead you to richness in many ways sometimes to create a rich and a good aesthetic and a and a kind of a a impactful uh, media presence or piece of content you have to strip away all the 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 fat you've got to trim it down to what it truly is and sometimes i think when people are focusing on growing a business or uh, reaching more people, they tend to try to overdo it. They tend to think more is uh, more is what's going to get me right. there. And I think in this crowded, right. distracted age, less is more. Yeah, that's so true. Simplicity is more. You mm-hmm. look at Moon Juice. You look at Goop. Mm-hmm. You look at the aesthetic that they have. Yeah, the minimalist. It is less. It is less. Yeah. It is clean. And I think that helps people. I think we're so cluttered in our heads these days that it kind of helps clear people's minds as well to see something that shows you something beautiful whether it is a a bowl of food um or it is an object to to present it in its simplicity there's a there's a real power to that in this day and age that's so true i'm taking notes over here yeah even more so than before because you know earlier it was whatever you saw on tv that was sold to you that was uh, supposedly everyone wanted that and right. this day and age this is too much choice exactly like every th- you can with almost no money you can make something beautiful and exciting yep, exactly. and i think if people realize that in the context of food mm-hmm. you can make something delicious you can make something flavorful that also looks instagram worthy yeah yeah what so more true. what I more can that. you expect so i think you know that's an interesting point um I want to get back into uh, food a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you did mention your new cookbook and how soul food has kind of been the core focus that you've had. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you're about much more than just that. Um, I find that another interesting thing about what you do is that you are, if you look at your recipes and you look at the food that you, you, you've been uh, cooking and putting out there in the last few years, you are almost... Some people may think you're redefining soul food, but what the, what most people don't realize is you're going back to the roots yes, of that. Yes, exactly. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about why making vegan soul food is mm. not only you know the right thing to do, but it is also going back to the roots of what soul food is Absolutely. and was and always has been. Right. Well, I think obviously, like you're saying, people think of soul food as all the meat stuff, all the the cheese and the butter. 
But in fact, if you think about just going to the grocery store, if you, if you know anything about animal agriculture and you know like the prices are very distorted, those foods are, especially before subsidies, are not cheap. Those are like the most expensive things. So obviously for black people, like during slavery or slave times, black people who were enslaved, I mean, they didn't have so much choice about what they ate, but you know, if a lot of uh, often they were allowed to keep little plots of land where they grew their own food right in front of their cabin or whatever, and they would of course grow plants, right? Also, the people who they brought over, the enslaved people who they brought over from Africa, not only did they bring the people, but they brought the food. So they brought black-eyed peas and they brought rice, which is you know South Carolina, which is known for the rice plantations and the African. Um, enslaved people who were there to farm that. And they brought the fruits like watermelon. Obviously, they also intermingled with Native American populations here in the United States, and that's where they got stuff like corn, for example. So all of our real cultural traditions come from plants. You will not hear anybody saying, oh, they went to Africa and they got the pig and now we have bacon. Or they went and they discovered a chicken and they started frying it up. That's not the case. It's all about the plants. And also, it's super inefficient to rely on animal products for your protein and your nutrition. Obviously, it makes more sense if you're going to grow food for you, the human, to eat it, than to feed it to another animal and then kill and eat that animal why don't you just cut out the middleman and eat it yourself right and i think that our you know especially not especially but all traditions whether it be people from west africa who ended up in the united states or native american populations or asian populations or whatever we all knew that and it was it's only till very recently that all of this is it's getting distorted and changing and we're relying we're becoming more meat centric and of course that's what's giving rise to you know obesity cancer diabetes autoimmune disease it's not like oh well you know times are changing people are just get sick now lifestyles are changing so yeah for with this book i really want to bring it home to you know the cultural traditions people also think of soul food as like celebration food <laughs> but if you really like, okay, it might be celebration food sometimes. Like in my book, I do have certain things that are fried or made with sugar or, or vegan butter, and that's for celebratory occasions. However, soul food can be eaten every single day because those black people who you know technically invented soul food, they they were they had to eat also from Monday to Sunday. They weren't just waiting for Thanksgiving and Christmas to have a good meal, so. They were eating plants, they were eating a lot of greens, they were eating sweet potatoes, corn, they were eating okra and a lot of beans, <laughs> We can, a lot of beans, a lot of rice. Um, and so I just want people to remember that soul food is doesn't have to be just celebratory food, it can be food that you eat on a daily basis, and it makes sense that it is, we're bringing it back to the plant-based roots, because that is what the people who invented and, you know, they, our ancestors, what they ate. I think that's so important. I think in what ends up getting lost in, in most people's conversation about food is they only focus on what has happened in the last hundred years or so, mm. and then let that, not even hundred, sometimes the last 50, 60 yeah. years, and let that define what our food culture is and which is why a lot of people are just resistant to the idea that you can eat primarily if not entirely mm -hmm. vegan or plant-based um and enjoy food yeah. and also be healthy and you know hopefully um prevent uh from uh, getting those autoimmune diseases right. that are so very clearly associated with industrial meat and dairy uh, so i think it's we're in a crucial time where it's important that people out there, including yourself, are doing this work that mm -hmm. are helping people redefine what food is mm -hmm. and what food will be for the next 100, 200, 300 years to come. Absolutely. And if we do want to have a planet <laughs> and a human population in 100 years, <laughs> we have to make that we change have now. To. Yeah. So this redefinition of food, um, reconnecting with the roots, or the real original roots of um, you know some cultural foods 
is crucial right now mm-hmm. because we are facing a health crisis and mm-hmm. an environmental crisis. Exactly. And not to mention, on, for no reason, slaughtering 60 billion animals around the world exactly. just so that we can feed not even everyone. Right. Not no, even. Not even everyone. Not even. And you know, another thing that I want people to remember is that, you know, what you love about, okay, so, you know, I was on the Today Show this morning and I was talking to the security guards. And so one of the things I made was eggplant bacon, right? So obviously what you're replicating when you're making a vegan form of bacon is the smoke and the fat. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what is bacon before you've smoked it, it's like a slab of protein and fat, right? It's just flesh. And if you would eat that by itself without smoking it, would you like it, right? I ask this about people for people about all sorts of foods. You know, you might like fried chicken. If you eat the chicken before it's fried, no seasoning on it, do you like that? No. What you like for all of these things is either the preparation, mm-hmm. which, I mean, preparations aren't vegan or non-vegan. It's smoking. It's, it's uh, frying. It's, you know, baking. That has nothing to do with animal products or not. But also, it's the spices, of course. So as long as you can replicate the spices. So if you're doing eggplant bacon, you have to get that fat, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously oil is a great thing to use for that. And eggplant just soaks up everything. And then the spices. So liquid smoke and smoked paprika and soy sauce, which is rich, rich, rich umami. So, I mean, it's so much easier than people realize. And I want people to remember that so much of what we're already eating, even if we think of ourselves as a meat eater, mm-hmm. is vegan. Yeah. Because if you're going to season your food at all, or if you ever eat fruit, or even if you drink a Coca-Cola or you eat Oreos or whatever, it's already vegan. So start shifting that mindset where you think, oh, I can't do that. What's vegan taste, food taste like? I can't, I can't, I can't. To opening it up and expanding like, oh, actually... Yeah, the only reason my food tastes good is because this is vegan spice on top of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're so you know I, that reminds me of when I started. Um, you know, I I was a, a adamant meat eater most of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, loved meat, and um, when I first started to shift away from meat, uh, one of the things I was worried about is like, how am I going to eat my favorite foods? Yeah, and uh, I grew up in India, so one of the things I I like many of the traditional Indian foods, but there was this one north indian dish that i i was i really loved and it was called it's called not was it is called mm-hmm. butter chicken mm-hmm. so it is essentially a chicken in this um red spicy gravy with a lot of butter in it mm-hmm. so it's creamy it's delicious i think there's cream also added on top uh, into it and it was one of my favorite things i used to eat growing up and i made that I, i'd never cooked that before in my life uh-huh. but i wanted to kind of prove to myself that I could basically recreate that entire dish and just replace the chunks of chicken with mm-hmm. something that resembled chunks of right. chicken that was plant-based. Right. And everything else was easy to re- replace. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up making was something that I'd previously never made even when I ate chicken right. that tasted exactly like wow. what I grew up eating. Wow. Which was a bit of a aha moment for me because I was thinking, wait a minute, the thing that makes that chicken delicious has nothing to do with animals. Nothing at all. You know, it is you can find, you're so right, you can find the, the fat, the salt, the, right. the flavors and the spices to right. recreate nearly everything. Exactly. And if you look at what, you know, some of the um, uh, food startups in the, fo- in the food industry are starting to do mm-hmm. now, they're even looking at, you know, that piece of bacon and saying, what is that? That right. is just flesh and fat exactly can we just recreate that exactly then why do we even need the animal exactly it's a canvas the animal right and i think you know that's what's changing today and the the work the exciting things that are happening in the innovation in plant proteins um as well as the culinary innovations Mm -hmm. that are happening are going to get people to not just embrace some of these meat heavy dishes which are primarily good because they include spices and are smoked and other things, right. but also celebrate vegetables in their natural form. Right. Um, and I think that w- that's what ends up happening to people. Once you realize, wait, I can eat that. Well, let me try that right. cauliflower now so or sweet true. potato and see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. But, you so know, we're true. in a very interesting time. So what do you, when you look ahead at, um, you know, I kind of touched on your future goals and um, we, we went on a bit of a tangent <laughs> on uh, 
uh, on both a yeah. mutual appreciation for a good aesthetic and yeah. the value of design. Um, but if you, you know, kind of had to pick one or two or three areas that you focus on in the next, um, say, two or three years, what would those be? Hmm. I think, well, definitely, definitely, like I said, about the, the changing aesthetic. And I mean, I, I, the next two and three years, I might change my mind and I might move into something <laughs> else. I, I like to be very open and just like fluid, see where, see where my thoughts and my, and my, um, desires take me, which I think has served me well. But yes, definitely, you know, if I'm going to write another cookbook, definitely keeping that aesthetic, that clean, cleanly or cleanliness and like minimalist thing in mind and letting that guide me because that speaks to me now um also my fiance and i would love to start a family we're gonna get married soon congratulations <laughs> thank you and i think you know not that i want to just like pimp my kids out <laughs> but i do think there is a lot of good opportunity to speak to raising a vegan family as well I don't have kids and I get questions about it all the time. I'm like, why are you guys asking me? Like, I need some experience before I respond to this. Um, and so just as, you know, as us millennials grow and we also start to have families, I want to help people because I know it's a fact, but I want people to, to know and, you know, uh, and, and be an example that you can have a family and you can all be vegan and that's totally cool and your kids won't die actually your kids will definitely thrive so that's the other thing and i don't know maybe maybe having a cooking show mm. as well so i have been I've, i've talked to people about this but at the, at the moment i'm kind of i don't know maybe i'm just like low bandwidth because of the book and everything and i've been putting so much attention into this But within the next two and three years, I could I could see myself definitely having a cooking show too. All sounds very exciting. And what mm -hmm. if you look far ahead, say 30 years from 30? now? 30? Oh, my God. And um, if the work that you're doing, right? Yeah. Because I can't imagine you can predict what you will be doing 30 <laughs> years from now. I'm sure it'll be exciting. Yeah, um, so. But if the work that you're doing now continues to reach more and more people through social media, through your cookbook, through every new endeavor that you kind of get into mm -hmm. or flow into in the next few years... If you're successful at what you're doing and, and part of this whole movement, we are all successful. Mm -hmm. What kind of uh, food system do you envision for the year 2050? That's around 30 Ooh, years from now. Okay, that's a good one because I have very strong opinion about this and desires. I would like for people to be more self-sufficient and myself included because, I mean, I only grow one thing. I have like mint. But, you know, I shop at farmer's markets. When I lived in New York City, I was committed to doing that. As long as the you know the wasn't the dead of winter and nothing grows, but I think the next step you start shopping at the farmers market, of course more local, supporting you know community, but next step is definitely growing your own food and not relying so much on the commercial system to feed you. Obviously, it's better for your health. The shorter the distance the food has to travel before it reaches your plate, the more antioxidants and all that goodness is in there. But also, I mean, people work their asses off just to feed themselves. But if you could have, if you could grow your own food, imagine how much that would alleviate. People always write to me, oh, vegan food is so expensive, which it's not. But it is, you know, another way to make it even cheaper. Start growing your own food. You think herbs are so expensive? Grow your own. You think greens are so expensive to get them organic at Whole Foods or wherever? Grow your own. Um... So yeah, that's, I, I hope it goes in that direction. I'm not sure, but I do envision myself, um, as I go more into that direction, helping others and, you know, hopefully proving to people that you can do it and it's mm -hmm. really fun and it's empowering and it could take a lot of stress and weight off your shoulders in so many ways. That's great. I mean, I think most people talk about, you know, the future and think about um, how innovation is going to transform everything. I love that your answer was, <laughs> no, go back. let's just go back <laughs> to doing the simple thing that we can. And if we yes. can find innovative ways for people that make it easier for yes. people to grow food exactly. um, throughout the year, um, exactly. no matter what the weather is, then that is a simple, very 
very impactful solution for right. everyone. Exactly. Like you could have like this, you know, tower gardens. Mm-hmm. You can have them no matter where you live, indoor or outdoor. If you're doing it indoor, all you need is the lighting situation set up. And it's, you know, it's so great. It's efficient. It's, I mean, I don't know how much they cost, but of course we can innovate to make them cheaper. Yeah. But that's great. So, yeah. well, this has been amazing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, none of, this was a fun conversation. I thought we were going to talk about your cookbook and influencers and we went into all yeah. kinds of different things which is uh, which is fascinating i can't wait to uh, get you back to talk about more yes. so thank you janae and good thank luck you. with every new thing that you plan to do i'm sure you're going to put all the soul and heart <laughs> and effort that you have in I the past know. six years and it's going to be even better than what you've already done so congratulations and uh, thanks for being on today thanks for having me You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. 
The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.